Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 279. Royal Caribbean's brand new Terminal A in Port Miami is not just another cruise terminal. The so-called Crown of Miami has been engineered from top to bottom to revolutionize what a cruise check-in and debarkation process can be. On this week's episode, let's talk about what you need to know about cruising from Terminal A, as well as walk through the entire process. Here we go. Every so often, Royal Caribbean will launch a brand new cruise terminal in a given port, and it's always nice to be able to get an upgraded, fresh area to be able to take and handle embarkation, disembarkation, and whatnot. But I really feel like Royal Caribbean has taken a giant step forward with the launch of its new Terminal A in Port Miami. And I thought on this week's episode, we could talk about Royal Caribbean's brand new terminal, not only because it's a good idea to talk about embarkation and disembarkation in Port Miami, but in addition, also shine a light on the incredible work Royal Caribbean has done in Terminal A. And the reason why I'm using superlatives like terrific, wonderful, amazing is because it really is truly a giant step forward. Royal Caribbean built a brand new cruise terminal in Miami. It just launched in, let's say, late October, early November. They did some soft tests in October, and then it was officially launched in November with the arrival of Symphony of the Seas. And the new terminal is more than just a glorified warehouse in which guests go, check in, and board. Royal Caribbean really wanted to take the embarkation process primarily and expedite it to a point in which it is, as they say, a frustration and frictionless uh, free experience. And that's really a big step for Royal Caribbean. First of all, the terminal is beautiful. It's located in uh, the Port Miami area. It's actually like the last terminal, despite the fact that it's Terminal A. You might think it's the beginning. The way that you, when you drive into Port Miami, it's actually at the end, but that's neither here nor there. It's just kind of an interesting standpoint. But it's a brand new cruise terminal they built. Now, Royal Caribbean will still operate their other terminals that they sometimes sail away from. Uh, it's primarily Terminal G. And there's another one I can't remember which letter it is, but it's the ones that are closer to actually Royal Caribbean's uh, headquarters there on Dodge Island. And it is really, uh, they'll still operate crews there. Terminal A is mostly going to be for, or is prioritized for, Symphony and Allure this season, pretty much any other Oasis class ship, because those are the those are the class ships that can only fit in Terminal A, whereas like a Mariner of the Seas or a Navigator of the Seas or an Empress of the Seas can go to either one. Certainly if there's availability and there's an opening, you may stop in Terminal A. So keep in mind that what we're talking about today is primarily Terminal A, although there are potentially other terminals that are available for Royal Caribbean to dock at. And if you're wondering, well, Matt, how do I figure out which one I'm going to? Uh, you don't really know in advance, per se. At least I'm not aware of a means of knowing. Perhaps there's somebody's aware of a website that lists it. It's kind of not important. And people, I get this question kind of uh, somewhat often with the launch of Terminal A is, hey, how do I know what to tell my Lyft driver or my Uber driver or, or my husband where to go? And... It's not important because as soon as you get to the port area, Port Miami, this is true basically of every port I've been to in the United States, there are large signs that indicate which ship is at which terminal. So it's really simple. And if you're doing Lyft or Uber and you need to put in an address, just put Port Miami and you'll figure it out from there. But if you are going on Symphony of the Seas out of Miami or Allure of the Seas out of Miami or Oasis down the line, just keep in mind that it's always going to be Terminal A. For the other ships, it may vary. In terms of uh, getting to Port Miami, let's take a step back for a moment. Uh, one of the, op- the opportunities I've had in addition to be able to check out Port Miami recently is also stay around the Miami area 
in hotels. And I've stayed at a couple different hotels, primarily around the port area in Miami. I'll tell you that really common question people ask, oh, what's a good hotel to stay at that's near the port? Staying near the port, I think, is fairly uh, – is not an import, as important as other places, primarily because, first and foremost, it's not like there's any hotel in which you can walk to the terminal. And in almost – I don't think there are any, although maybe there are. I'm, I'm just not familiar with any that offer any kind of free shuttle service. Regardless, it's a very easy drive over. If you're staying in the downtown area, a.k.a. Brickle, that's the name of the community there in downtown – it's like a three-minute ride. It really is very, very – there's just a causeway or a tunnel that you have to go over or, or through in order to reach the island because Port Miami is on an island as opposed to maybe Port Everglades in Fort Lauderdale you may be familiar with in which is you know, just part of the city, so to speak. It's its own little separate island, so you need to drive over a causeway or go on go in a tunnel. But it's very easy to get there. On weekends, there's really no problems at all. If you're going, if your cruise is coming, leaving, or starting on a Saturday or a Sunday, traffic is next to non-existent. Certainly in the morning for Miami, it's more of an issue if your cruise leaves on a weekday or comes back on a weekday that you may run into a problem with the traffic issues. And I think it's more of an issue if you're coming from maybe one of the other airports, like you're flying into Fort Lauderdale or West Palm Beach. Or perhaps you're staying in a hotel in the area, uh, you know, Fort Lauderdale or Boca Raton or one of the other places nearby, and you're driving to the port that day. Just keep in mind you may need some extra time on weekdays. On weekends, it's really irrelevant. Uh, There's very little traffic because, of course, there's no rush hour on the weekend. So uh, much easier to get there. In terms of where to stay, my actual recommendation is while staying next to Port Miami or near Port Miami in downtown Miami is nice, you can save a lot of money by, by moving a little bit further north basically away from Miami. Fort Lauderdale will probably save you in the ballpark of, I'll make a generalization, 50 bucks a night. And then if you go to up to like Boca Raton, you'll probably save a little bit more. And if you're willing to go up to like Port St. Lucie or Jupiter or some of the other neighboring or fringe uh, cities that are in South Florida, you'll save a lot more money in terms of your nightly stays. Obviously, this will vary from time to time of the year. But what I want to tell you is that it's not mission critical, I think, to stay in downtown Miami. Uh, if you're looking for a great hotel, downtown Miami, the best one I've stayed at thus far is the Intercontinental Hotel. Uh, it is a beautiful hotel. You can see the cruise area uh, from the hotel. It's like a two-minute car ride. If you want to be downtown, that's the place to be. I've stayed at a couple other Holiday Inns downtown. They were fine, but I feel like if you're going to spend the money for a downtown hotel, the Intercontinental is a really good choice. No one ever questions that choice. You know what I mean? So that's why go-to. But otherwise, I would strongly consider actually looking at some other hotels in the surrounding areas because you're just going to save a lot of money. And it's, again, not like you're going to walk to the cruise terminal anyway. So if you're already in the ballpark of, oh, I need to take a car, then I feel like you're better off just simply (laughs) staying somewhere that's 30 to 60 minutes away. Even that kind of sounds like far away, but what else are you going to do in the morning, right? You're going to get, you're going to be excited. You're going to get up in the morning and, you know, driving to the port, I don't think is a major problem. So, Consider other options. But once you get to Terminal A, it's really simple. Arriving there, there's two options as you drive into Terminal A. One is to drop off. One is to park your car. Let's start with the parking car option because inevitably the drop-off option, they, they merge in terms of your workflows there. So when you drive your car in and park it, as you approach Terminal A, there will be a ramp that will take you up to the parking garage. At that point, you will be able to not only uh, get a parking ticket for the week, but also there uh, there are porters in the garage area to take your luggage. What will happen is you'll first drive in and you'll reach the porters first. So you stop there, 
drop off your luggage, and then you go park the car, which I absolutely love because you're not doing something I always recommended doing in other ports, which is you're going to driving around the terminal, dropping off the luggage, then driving back outside the port, the terminal area, then back in again and parking the car, and then why? It's kind of convoluted. This way, with this approach of dropping off the luggage and then parking the car, it keeps families together, which I think was a really nice change. And uh, so you drop off the luggage, park the car in the garage area. And if you are wondering, yes, there are offsite parking options in Miami. I don't recommend any of them. In most cities, I, I'm indifferent to whether you want to park in the terminal or offsite. But Miami has, unfortunately, Port Miami or Miami offsite parking in general has had some interesting stories that I've heard over the years that I just can't bring myself to recommend parking offsite. I know it does cost more money to park at the terminal, but I firmly believe it is well worth it simply because it's just the convenience factor is so massive, especially on disembarkation day, that I just I, I don't see the benefit of saving, let's say, 25 to 50 bucks for if it's even that much, quite frankly, I don't even know, to park offsite and with all the added frustration, quite frankly, I feel that that's associated with it, you know, the the waiting for the shuttle, getting on the shuttle, all that kind of stuff. So do yourself a favor, park at the cruise terminal. Now, if you're dropping off, well, then you're, you're bypassing the garage. You come around. It's almost like an airport. If you ever dropped off at an airport, it's a very similar experience. You just come around, go right to the curb, drop off, and the car leaves, and you go on your way. Regardless of whether you're being dropped off or after parking your car, because if you're parking your car, you're taking an elevator downstairs to the curbside area. So you'll, you'll basically join everybody who is being dropped off, and you enter a common entry. And at this point, I really feel like you're going to really see the beauty of Terminal A. It is a gorgeous facility. Uh, as you walk in, you're going to see ahead of you a large uh, staircase and escalator with, at the top of the staircase, a two giant and beautiful gold propellers that are that actually spin around it's a beautiful piece of artwork and uh, actually they're not to scale i did ask about that when royal caribbean first opened the terminal originally they wanted to build them to scale but to have really scale like life-size propellers just wouldn't fit in there wouldn't be practical so they had to scale them down a little bit but they are quite beautiful to see uh, bring your camera now as you walk in though you're gonna have to make a decision if you are a sweet guest you'll actually have separate uh check-in process to the right so before you even get to the stairs on the right side there is a check-in process for sweet guests we'll talk about that in a second let's talk about the normal guests non-sweet guests you go up the escalators or up the stairs however you want to go there's also an elevator option as well when you get to the top of the stairs this is when the new process begins again Royal Caribbean wanted to rethink this whole check-in process by offering guests the opportunity to really make this simple before you even have ever gotten to the cruise terminal before you even got to Miami you should have a completed online check-in you can complete online check-in via Royal Caribbean's website. Depending on the ship you're sailing on, like Symphony of the Seas, you can actually do it via the app. Regardless, you do have that online check-in option. I highly, highly, highly recommend you do that. Take the time to do it. It just saves you time in the terminal. But as you get to the terminal and, and you get up those stairs, there will be uh, a bunch of agents lined up with tablets waiting to check you in. All they need to do, if you did everything in, in, in advance uh, at home via the website or the app, all you're going to do is simply they're going to take their device, scan your set sail pass, which may be either a piece of paper or uh, with the new app. Oh, man, it's so easy. It's like going to on an, air, on an airplane. If you've ever done online checking, you have the virtual ticket there where you have the set sail pass on your phone. They scan it. They check everything over make sure you didn't miss anything. And if, if you didn't, 
boom, you're on your way. It is literally a 30-second process if you did it all correctly. If you didn't, maybe you missed a photo, maybe you didn't check a box, no worries at all. They can handle it right there. Now, if you're somebody who just forgot to do it, forgot your set cell pass, or whatever the excuse you come up with as to why you don't have it all prepared, that's not a problem at all. They still have a standard counter over on the right side of the check-in area, and they can complete it for you. In honesty, even if you go that route of not doing any online check-in and just simply showing up, the process still is quite quick. They'll be able to handle you really quickly. Um, this is something Realcom has been doing even for quite a while, so it's not like it's their first time doing it. But I'll tell you that uh, the whole process is really, really quick. And again, if you do the process ahead of time, which I highly recommend you do that, you will. I think you'll be astounded by how quickly the check-in process is in, especially if you've cruised before and you've known what the process is. Not like it was a problem before, but when you can literally you know, walk in the door, get checked in, and then be on your way in a matter of, like, you know, I, I want to say minutes as in, like, you know, less than 10, that's huge right there. Another, uh, that your next stop is another, uh, I think, impressive area is the security check-in. Usually, the security check-in has always been kind of a bottleneck. This is the point where they scan your carry-on luggage, right? They look through your stuff. You go through the metal detectors and all that. And even in the, some of the newer ones, I remember in Port, uh, uh, Port Liberty in Bayonne, New Jersey, which is where Anthem of the Sea sells out of, they, that was a fairly recent constructed facility but there was still a bit of a bottleneck over there but with the new facility they've really engineered it to be easy i love the the bag check and basically as you before you get to the metal detector instead of just putting your bags on a on a ramp on a thing on a whatever the word is that you know transports your baggage through the x-rated machine there's little i don't know how to explain it it's almost like if you've ever seen the baggage claim area in some airports you basically put your baggage in that thing, and then it moves it for you. It's a circular, I'm not doing a very good job of describing this, but it's a circular uh, table, if you will, that takes, you put your luggage in there, it's a conveyor belt, that's the word I was looking for before, and it moves it for you, so that way you're not babysitting it along the way. Then you could just walk through the check-in process, which, by the way, a little PSA, the check, the metal detectors there are, you know, there are metal detectors, but they're not quite the same level as what you go through the airports. It's not a big, like, you don't take off your shoes. Your belt will probably be fine unless you're from Texas and wearing a giant <laughs> belt buckle, but you'll be fine. You don't have to go quite to the lengths of the airport, so just a little free advice there. Anyway, you go through that, really simple, and then as soon as you're done with the security check-in, you're taking an escalator up to the waiting area. The waiting area is a very large room. There's multiple seating areas, again, depending on your crown and anchor status. And it's really easy. You say have to take a seat, and they'll let you know when to board. Again, if you do everything right, if you do the online check-in ahead of time, and you don't like, you know, have concealed alcohol in your bag, and, you know, you kind of avoid those kind of pitfalls, you should get from curbside when you walk through those doors and see those propellers to the check-in area in, like, a couple minutes. It's really more dependent, I think, on who's ahead of you, but they do a really good job of processing people. Now, if you're a sweet guest, it's even this is the easiest check-in process I've ever seen in my entire life. Anywhere I've been, it was amazing. So here's how it works. You get you you walk in the building, you see the propellers, but instead of going up the stairs, to your right, there's a dedicated check-in area for pinnacle guests as well as sweet guests. Go in there, take an elevator up to the top floor. So you're bypassing that middle floor where I mentioned earlier security and the, the normal check-in processes, you go straight up, and they actually put you immediately, uh, first of all, through security. So you hit the elevator, you go through a quick security check, you know, that's the, the x-ray machine and whatnot. But instead of going to a check-in process, you actually go right to the suite lounge, to the waiting area. It's kind of weird. It's like, huh. 
So what happens is you go to the sweet area, you sit down in a comfortable chair or something, and then they come to you to check in. It's unbelievable. I love this. There's it's less waiting, standing waiting, I should say. You're still waiting, but you're sitting down at least. It's far more relaxing, and it's just wow. So you you if you thought the regular check-in was easy, the sweet check-in is just like wow. That was just incredible. Quite frankly, I've done a lot of different check-ins across a lot of different ports, and by far this one was significantly easier. And then obviously, whether you're in the sweet area or you're in the main area. The boarding process is very similar to, I'm sure, if you've been on another cruise before in terms of they start, you know, boarding process at some point and, you know, they'll start with the sweet guests and then they'll go down to, you know, the Diamond Plus, Diamond, et cetera, and go down until everybody's boarded in there. But it's really easy. And I think a couple things really stand out to me when we're talking about Port Miami. Number one, it's a beautiful building. Bring your camera. I mean, I, most terminals are not that good looking. Like I said, they're glorified warehouses, but they really built this area. Terminal A is referred to colloquially as the crown of Miami. They built it to be like that. When you get on board the ship, take a look back, especially during sail away, because it is beautiful the way that they, they they designed it and the way that it's kind of positioned between you and downtown Miami. It's it's just awesome photos. No matter if you can even bring your 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 great aunt's wind up disposable camera and probably get a decent photo of the terminal right there as well as uh, the background of Port Miami. Just just gorgeous. Uh, number two, do your online check-in. Do yourself a favor and take the time to do it. Like I always – my parents are the classic example of people who never do the online check-in. They're like, ah, we'll do it at the, at the terminal. Why not? And I'm like, because it's it's just easier. Just do it. And I try to fight with them on this one, but I'm telling you, do yourself a favor and – Get out there and and do the online check-in. I mean, you're going to do it anyway. You might as well do it at, at the, from the comfort of home. Maybe when you're watching the news, you're sitting on your couch. Take that opportunity to do the online check-in. It really makes a difference there. And um, it's it's probably one of the easiest check-in processes I've encountered in any port I've been to. I think Royal Caribbean has really hit a home run with this. Um, now let's talk about the disembarkation process because if you thought embarkation was easy, disembarkation is equally easy in a different way. Well, that's what I love about it. So like all ships, you're di- I'm not going to talk about the onboard disembarkation process. We've talked about that in past podcasts uh, where basically, you know, the, they call your number, you get you go off the ship, your luggage, all that. I'm going to talk about what happens when you actually walk off the ship, shed a single tier or many tiers maybe in, in my case, and then make your way down. So as you disembark the ship, uh, pretty sim- pretty similar process to most terminals. You're going to walk down, walk back down the gangway uh, into the building, and at which point you're going to collect your luggage. Still very similar to almost every other port I've been to. I don't think there's been any surprises here in terms of up what we've talked about up till this point. And it's it's very easy. I think they do a really good job of handling the luggage. What's nice about Terminal A also is that they have a lot of space, so they you know the 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 numbers. Uh, of the baggage claim area are a lot smaller, so there's less luggage to filter through. I was talking to a friend of mine who has actually cruised a lot with Disney Cruise Line, and she mentioned that one thing Road did really well here in Terminal A was make it a whole lot easier to find your luggage, less of the a sea of luggage situation when you're like, oh gosh, uh, there's one piece over there, and then you hunt, have to hunt through you know 700 pieces of luggage to find your own. The numbers that you're you're given are a lot smaller, more compact, so that makes it easier to find your luggage. But anyway. At that point, you then go to, as you might expect, customs. In Terminal A, Royal Caribbean has already implemented a new uh, biometric 
check-in process, check-out process, or however you want to look at it. So instead of talking to a port agent, although that can happen, we should mention that you could still talk to a, a customs agent. In fact, some people did do that. But primarily, a majority of people will actually end up talk, looking at a machine. What happens is you go up to this machine that's probably about five and a half, five, five and a half feet tall, maybe. And it is, looks like... How do I describe these machines? It kind of looks like a giant iPad with a 2001 A Space Odyssey um, HAL 9000 camera on it. It's not red. It doesn't say, I'm sorry, Dave. I can't let you leave the con- enter the country. But it does <laughs> have a camera on it. You look at it. It takes your picture. And if you don't fit any, basically it looks at your, your, your face, takes a number of, uh, this is how biometrics work, right? It looks for different features of your face, compares it to a database. As long as you don't fit any criteria for, I guess, known criminals or something like that, you're on your way. It's really easy. You do need to do this for children. So I had to, I think, for one or both of my kids, pick them up by the shoulders and hold them in front of it. But it's pretty good about you know people of various heights to be able to, to handle that. What's I mean, not only is this a neat part of technology, but it is so incredibly fast. Again, it makes the process fast. I think the the... In terms of checking in, embarkation or disembarkation, by far, customs is always the slowest part of it, and they handle it beautifully. I mean, just so easy, and uh, you know, it, I can't say enough things about how simple it is. And again, this goes back to where, again, towards that goal, that technology-driven goal of making things easier for guests, so that way you can get where you need to be and spend less time in the terminal after that. Once you pass the customs part, I mean, you're out on the street at that point, and then you're packing up your your car. Uh, what's nice is the porters in Terminal A will, if you have it parked your car, take a take a porter because they will take your luggage from the pit baggage pickup area all the way directly to your car and load it in the car. They do this in a lot of other ports as well. I, I can definitely remember doing this in in Bayonne, New Jersey, as well as Terminal A in um, Terminal One, sorry, in Port Canaveral in Port Everglades, it's not. there's no parking garage. There's just a parking lot. I think they still do it there. But, I mean, most places, the, the porters will go out with you to the, wherever your car is. But regardless, it is nice to see, even though they're going up into a into a parking garage, where some people might wonder if they're going to do that. But really, really simple. But overall, I mean, Terminal A, the process could not be easier. And if your cruise is going out of Terminal A, you're really in for a treat because it will spoil you, quite frankly, for any other experiences out there, any other embarkation, disembarkation process. Royal Caribbean really, I, I hope this is not only a, um, a a indication of what's to come, but I hope this is just the first step of a of what Royal Caribbean is looking to do fleet-wide, company-wide, with some of their technology innovations where it's not just about like, hey, we got technology, look at these flashing lights and things like that. It's about taking technology, seamlessly integrating it into the process to make it easier on you. And that's what gets me so excited about this kind of stuff. This is what I love about Royal Caribbean because they're the kind of company that looks at this technology and sees the potential in them and jumps on it well before a lot of other companies do that. And it's not, as a geek, it's exciting, but also as a, as I mean, as a dad, it's just so much easier when you can just get to where you need to go with your kids and you're not going through those lines. It's not an arduous process. It is not like going through the airport, right? If you've ever taken your kids through the airport, boy, is that not fun? You know, that's the opposite here, what they're doing with Terminal A. And I, I, I really feel quite good about what they're doing here. And I'm excited. And if you're going on a cruise soon at a Terminal A, you're going to have an awesome time on there. Just, again, do yourself a favor. Do the online check-in for embarkation. For disembarkation, like all ports, use a porter to help you get out there. Not only is it easier 
for not having to lug your own stuff around, but to get you where you need to be, they are such a help because they just get you there easier, less lugging around. You're already depressed because the cruise is over. You may as well not be lugging around luggage. So do yourself a favor with that one. time once again to dive into the Royal Caribbean blog podcast inbox and read the emails that you've sent me to be answered right here on the podcast. You can always send me your emails by sending them to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Our first email this week is from Tracy, who is a Royal Caribbean blog insider. She writes, insider? What is that? Ah, it's a shameless plug. That's what that is. It's an opportunity for me to remind everybody that you can help support what we do here on the Royal Caribbean blog podcast, as well as RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, by becoming an insider. It's kind of like, you know, if you've ever seen like one of those, like, uh, things on PBS where they ask you to become a member and donate a certain amount of money and in exchange you get certain benefits. That's what we're doing here. Basically, if you enjoy the Royal Caribbean Blog podcast and if you enjoy RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com and if you'd like to see more great podcasts and content on the blog, well, become an insider. For as little as $1 a month, you can become an insider, help support what we're doing here. And depending on the level you donate at, you might also get access to special uh, perks, if you will, like a special Facebook group for insiders, special Royal blog merchandise, heads up on any special events that we're holding, and a whole lot more. For more information about how you can become a Royal blog insider, go to royalcaribbeanblog.com slash support, royalcaribbeanblog.com slash support. I will also post a link in this week's show notes to uh, make it super easy for you to find it. So thank you, Tracy, for the opportunity to shamelessly plug that. But Tracy's going to, writing to us actually, with a uh, quick review of her recent nine-day Canada-New England cruise on Anthem of the Seas. So these are bullet points. I'm going to go right through them here. Ports, New Jersey. The pre-cruise stay was at Embassy Suites in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Then we took a shuttle to the port. One of the porters told me that early baggage is processed in place on the ship first. Therefore, the earlier you drop off your bags, the sooner they get to your cabin. We had our bags by 2 p.m. No problems at all for embarkation. Longest line was 10 minutes. If you like bumper cars, do them on day one. There were no lines. All other times, I checked the line was wrapped around the basketball court. When Jamer had no honey-stung chicken. All other Royal Caribbean blog embarkation tips applied and were relevant. For Boston, Greyport, we had a blast. The weather was a little on the cool side for a native flirting. Our tour, which was the presidential libraries, was canceled. Royal Caribbean gave us a free shuttle pass to Quincy Market. We did Quincy Market and the Freedom Trail on foot. Both were great and free. However, the round-trip shuttle pass for Quincy Market was 20 bucks. Lunch shore at an Irish pub called the Black Rose was great, and so was the Guinness. In Portland and Bar Harbor, Maine, both ports were picturesque, gorgeous, and cold. In Portland, we took the land and sea tour, which was a two-masted sailboat tour of the harbor and a bus tour of the city. If you do the boat in October, bring a jacket. In Bar Harbor, we did the bus tour with the lobster lunch. Halifax, Canada, we did the hop-on, hop-off bus tour to get a feel for the town. If you show up for this tour in the morning, be prepared to wait in a long line. If you come an hour or so after the start time, the lines are gone. St. John's, Canada, due to inclement weather, we chose a bus tour. The biggest problem in St. John was the cold, rainy weather. In terms of the ship, Anthem is a great ship. Uh, for the captain, Q&A, a woman told the captain she thought Anthem was nice, but it was no oasis. He laughed it off. Best meal was Wonderland. We also did Chops and Jamie's on the three-night package. Worst meal was the main dining room with the Windjamer was better. 270 Cafe was excellent for both breakfast and lunch. Sorrento's and Cafe Promenade were both identical to the ones on Oasis. For drinks, we did the refreshment package and got the $79 drink card, which appeared on day six-ish. We had an Oasis view balcony on deck nine, which was rather nice and surprisingly spacious. I liked the space under the bed for luggage. The outside pool was too cold, but the atrium and solarium pools were just right. Spa services were great, but they pushed a little hard on the upselling. 
Ripcord was fun. You should try a mat as an easy falling. Uh, Northstar was fun. I was surprised at how stable the ride was. No bumps or swaying. Overall, a great cruise and a fantastic itinerary. Uh, best drink, Mai Tai. Best restaurant, Wonderland. Best location on the ship, the hot tubs all the way forward in the solarium. Music on my iPhone, Van Halen. <laughs> I love that, Tracy. Thank you for the email. And by the way, I have tried Ripcord by iFly. I did it once on Quantum of the Seas. I crashed. I was thoroughly embarrassed, and I will personally never do it again, but that's because I'm a big baby, and I'm not afraid to admit it. So, Thank you, Tracy, for the email and the shameless plug, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, next up, we have an email from Dave Miller, where I tell you, Matt, I just finished listening to the podcast in preparation for a February 2019 cruise, and I have a suggestion that you may want to pass along. My wife and I are fortunate to be able to travel often, but I'm unable to lift my right arm above my shoulder. That means that putting anything in the overhead bins is difficult to impossible for me to do if the bag is heavy. That means I travel with a bag that fits under the seat and is light enough I can fit in, lift it with one arm. To be able to take many of the items that are heavier and I want access to, I use a travel vest. It has multiple pockets and I'm able to carry my tablet, phone, wallet, travel documents, medications, I need for the day and an extra battery in the vest. It really makes it easy to go through TSA because all I do is slip off the vest and I'm not checking my pockets to make sure I don't set off an alarm. Obviously, how heavy the vest will be depends on what you put into it, but for me, it's normally about five to six pounds and I don't really notice the extra weight. There are a number of companies that make them and come in a number of configurations and prices. I have a Scott E-Vest and like the fact that when I put my car keys in the vest, there's a clip I hook them on so that I have an extra security of knowing I won't lose them during my trip if I unzip that pocket. Uh, crappy way to end a trip if getting to your car and discovering you don't have their keys. On another note, I wanted to say I was an avid listener of your previous podcast with Len and the two mics. I was sad to see it end, but going forward the in life results in changes. I discovered in 2008 while trying to find a way to keep my mind busy during rehabilitation from an incident that ended my military career. I went back and downloaded every podcast and listened to all of them. It was a great way to keep my mind occupied, and I got great information and many laughs from your crew. I've always been a big Disney fan, and your tips and tricks made my trips there much more enjoyable. I was able to attend the last two reunions, but my stamina was limited, so I, was, I wasn't able to attend every event, but I did enjoy the ones I did. I always wanted to thank you and the rest of the crew in person for what your show did for me, but it just never worked out, so this is the best I can do. When you talk to the others, please tell them what you all did. It made a big difference for this one individual. Dave, first and foremost... Thank you for your service to our country. It really does mean a lot to me. Uh, second of all, I'm really flattered, quite frankly, with all the wonderful words you had there. I love the tip, by the way, of, of the vest. Uh, I'm familiar with the Scott E vest, something that's been around for quite a while. But I think, uh, Dave, as we've gotten now to a point in, um, in, in this day and age where electronics and all these things are so much more important or more commonplace, the the... Uh, something a product like the Scott Evest went from like a geeky thing to like it's geeky, but now it's a lot more practical. And uh, this is a really good idea actually for someone who is looking to again bring down that bulk uh, from stuff you put on your back in in, a, in the form of a bag, and instead keep it on your body, but not be you know less of a hassle. And I love that idea. So uh, Dave, thank you so much for the email. Really do appreciate it. Good recommendation there. Let's move on to our next email. It is from Jeremy from Arkansas, where it's, hello, Matt, I wanted to give a quick review of my recent Harmony of the Seas cruise that departed in October 27th, 2018. This was my first Royal Caribbean cruise and only second total. Our entourage included my mother-in-law, my wife, and myself. 
We arrived at Terminal 18 in Fort Lauderdale at 10 a.m., 20 minutes to get through security and checked in, on board by 11, quick and painless. We stayed in an ocean view balcony room with three people in the room. It did at times feel crowded, mainly only when everyone was trying to get there at the same time. Otherwise, a great room. Harmony is a beautiful ship, and we absolutely loved it. The only criticism for me is I actually already knew about from your blog or podcast. That is the lack of connection with the ocean. Going in knowing that, I had my expectations in line, and I was not at all disappointed. It's a different cruise experience that I really enjoyed. Central Park became a favorite for all of us quickly, especially at night. It was gorgeous. The crew was amazing, very friendly, and helpful. Uh, lava flows with Kraken, of course, at the Solarian Bar were outstanding. Not so much at the other bars for some reason. All complimentary food, all complimentary food was okay to really good. Sarandos was decent for what it is. James Italian, excellent, went there twice. Chops, very good filet mignon, good quick service, no complaints. Sabor, didn't even like the guacamole, but finished the bowl, surprisingly good. Salsa, tacos, and quesadillas were all delicious. For our part stops, St. Martin, the only two words you need to know, Leo Brown. We felt he was fair price for what he delivered. He had all the highlights and then some secret spots that only takes Real Cream blog, podcast, readers, listeners. He was a real pleasure to ride with for the day. Very informative, funny, friendly, entertaining, the list goes on. Can't say enough good things about Leo. My mother-in-law collects license plates and asked him where he, she could get one. He, knew, he said he knew just one place. We thought we were going to a souvenir store. Next thing we know, we're pulling up to his house. He had his son bring out an old taxi license plate of his and give it to her. Wow, what a great surprise. Such a stand-up guy. Thanks for sharing his contact info. A great find. He said to make sure I told you, Matt, he says hi. San Juan, we visited El Mora and wandered the streets of old San Juan, tried Mofungo. It was okay. I may not have gone to the right restaurant. Didn't make it to LG Burrito like I had planned. We'll try again on my next trip. Labadee, we had an over-the-water cabana at Nelly's Beach. Excellent. Definitely the way to go. Labadoozies were good, but we enjoyed the lava flows much more. The barbecue lunch was okay for a light meal. Can't wait to go back to all three ports. So much to see and do. Your blog and podcast have been invaluable at getting us prepared for our cruise. Went into it feeling like not first-timers, but seasoned pros. Thank you very much. Well, uh, I got to say, Jeremy from Arkansas, thank you so much for the email. I'm so glad that Leo Brown worked out for you and you had an awesome time on Harmony. Sounds like you had a really, really nice cruise. That's awesome. And I appreciate the email. Next, we have an email from Janet who writes, oh, it's Janet from El Paso, Texas. Uh, Hello, Matt. Thanks for the great podcast. You got me through all my morning walks and long car rides. I sure do appreciate everything you do for us who love cruising. To those listening today, if you are invested in Matt's work, you should support him through the Royal Caribbean blog insider program on Patreon. Become an insider. There you go, Matt. I'll do the shameless plug for you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Back to Jet's email. So we're selling on Harmony in January. I was wondering about the WoW bands. Do they work like Disney World's magic bands? Are they used to unlock your door, make charges to your account, get on and off the ship? I'm guessing I'm trying to figure out if they replace CBS card entirely. Are they waterproof? Like, can we wear them in the hot tub? If I can get away with not keeping track of the CBS card, I'll gladly do it. Anything you can give me on the WoW bands would be awesome. Jeanette, thank you for the email and, and the shameless plug. And yes, they work very similarly to the Disney's magic bands. Essentially, they are a... Uh, I don't want to say necessarily a replacement for the WoW band for the CPass cards, but WoW bands, which by the way are RFID bracelets that you can get on Harmony of the Seas, Symphony of the Seas, Quantum, Ovation, and Anthem of the Seas. Currently, uh, they basically is an option you can have if you're if you're staying in a suite, they're included in your room. Otherwise, they're four ninety five. You can reuse them across multiple cruises. So you just go to guest services, swap them out. But basically, you can use them in conjunction with your CPAS card. You will need; they can do everything your CPAS card except for two important things. Number one is a muster drill, 
when it comes to mustard drill on day one, you need your CPAS card. And the other one is when you get off the ship, for getting off the ship and coming back on the ship, you still need your CPAS card for purposes of being able to prove that you're on that particular sailing. Like when you're walking back into the port area, there's going to be local security, not Royal Caribbean security. So they need to be able to see on your CPAS, oh, you are on this ship and on this current sailing, you can come in. So you need your CPAS card for that. But otherwise, yes, you can unlock your door. You can make charge to your account. You can go in the pool with them. Uh, you can basically anywhere on board the ship that they take the CPAS card to charge something or look at something like you're checking in for a show at the theater, they can scan your wow band instead. So I, and I'm with you, Jeanette. I greatly prefer my wow band in my CPAS card just simply because it's so much easier because I, as the dad, I think I've told the story before, but as the dad, I'm always keeping all the CPAS cards in my pocket. I'm the keeper of the, of the CPAS cards. And I'm always like, oh gosh, where's my card? Where's this card? With the wow band, so much easier because it's always on my wrist. Bam, getting in the door in my stateroom. If nothing else, well worth it for that. It makes it a whole lot simpler. So, uh, yeah, I am very much a wow band believer. And Jeanette, I think you'll like it too. It's going to make your life a whole, whole lot easier. Next, we have an email from Patrick K. from Minneapolis. It says, it's about time for my annual pre-cruise email. First, um, do you have any recommendations for excursions in Antigua? St. Lucia, Barbados. I haven't been to either of those three islands before and couldn't find any older episodes or posts on them, although I may be missing them, so feel free to direct me. Thanks again for all you do. I have listened to you every week since the start. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for the email. I'm glad you've been listening for such a long time. For Antigua, I recommend Valley Church Beach. Go to one of the most beautiful beaches I've ever been to in my entire life. Definitely anything to do. St. Lucia, the number one thing you want to do in St. Lucia is see the Pitons, which are these two mountains or volcanoes. I forget which one they are. I think they're volcanoes, but they're mountains at the very least. Uh, elevated spaces. You should go see that. No matter what the excursion is, just pick one that goes that. Barbados, I've been to Barbados once. I did a tour of the island, like one of those just like, let's go see everything. It was fun. Uh, I don't remember who it was. It was one of the major companies. We did this through groups. I wasn't the one organizing it. I just kind of was along for the ride both literally and figuratively. But uh, Barbados has really nice beaches. There's a nice downtown area as well, but there's a lot to see in Barbados. And, uh, you know, uh, there's quite a bit you could possibly see there, both historically, culturally, and then just, you know, hanging out at the beach. So uh, I'm not sure you can go wrong. I don't have a specific recommendation there in Barbados, but there's a lot to do. Again, I did one of those round-the-island tours. I would recommend it. It was a good idea. And certainly Royal Caribbean offers those as well as third parties. We did a third-party tour. I forget exactly which one it was. Um, but uh, it wasn't Victor Bodden because that's St. Martin. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm sure you can find it out there. Uh, Patrick, if you struggle with this, send me an email. Uh, or if anybody has done, here's a, better, here's a better suggestion, Patrick. If anybody has been to Barbados, and I'm going to expand to St. Lucia, if you've done a specific tour in St. Lucia or Barbados that you recommend, or even Antigua, maybe you think I'm wrong about Valley Church Beach, post it in this week's episode in the comment section uh, for this for our show notes at royalcreamblog.com. I'd love to hear some other suggestions for St. Lucia and Barbados because there's a lot of great things to do there. I think St. Lucia, the problem with St. Lucia is that where the ship docks, it's kind of a hike to get to the Pitons. We've been to St. Lucia once. We didn't go to the Pitons. We ended up going just to a beach a lot closer. At the time, we had really young kids, and I didn't want to sit in a car with them for an hour. Not to mention, it was kind of pricey, and at the time, our budget for cruising was a little different than it is now. So we kind of said, uh, we're not going to do that. So we didn't go to the Pitons. And everyone was like, you didn't go to the Pitons? It's like basically not going to the Pitons St. Lucia is like going to, I don't know. South Dakota and not seeing Mount Rushmore. You know, it's kind of like, what, what else could you possibly do there? So there you go. There's my recommendation for you. But uh, Patrick, thank you so much for the email. 
Next, we have an email from Mary Ellen Haas, Haas of St. Clair Shores, Michigan. Uh, hello, Matt. Thank you so much for providing such an entertaining and informative platform to discuss all things Royal Caribbean. Having just become diamond status earlier this year, my husband and I thought we were pretty smart about all things Royal. However, each episode of your podcast brings yet another nugget of information that we didn't know. We have a New Year's cruise coming up on Brilliance of the Seas, our second time on this awesome ship, and the itinerary has us in Cosmel on New Year's Day. While we've been to Cosmo many times in our cruising experience, the research we have done for this visit seems to indicate that everything will be closed through the New Year holiday. Given the insight or experience what we can expect for the day in port, we're thinking this may be an opportunity to just stay on the ship and enjoy having brilliance to ourselves. Looking forward to your reply. Thanks again for all you do to keep me thinking about cruising with Royal Caribbean in between my scheduled cruises. Well, Mary Ellen, thank you for the email. Uh, you know, I haven't been to Cosmo on New Year's Day. I've been there on other holidays. I will tell you that like so many other ports that are very much focused and centralized on the tourist industry, there's going to be stuff open. I don't, the idea that everything will be closed, I think is not an accurate way to look at the Island. Uh, you know, if you're going to go venture into some local areas, yeah, those places may be closed, but rest assured, you know, uh, you know, paradise beach is going to be open. Rest assured that, uh, downtown, the shops are going to be open. And if you want to go to Senor Frogs, that's going to be open. I don't think necessarily Senor Frogs is up your alley, Mary Ellen, but I, there's going to be plenty of things of stuff to do, no question about it. The shore excursions, I'm sure you can already log on to Royal Caribbean's website, check out the shore excursions. Those will be available to you. If you're genuinely concerned about things being open or not, book shore excursion, book a tour in advance. That way you're definitely assured that you're going to have something to do, as opposed to maybe just venturing downtown. If you do go downtown, which I would still do, there's going to be stuff open. Will it all be open? Will all the stores be open? No, of course not. And, and that you see that sometimes on Sundays in Cozumel uh, as well. But I wouldn't let it stop you. I don't think that's really a reason not to go. I think that uh, I love Cozumel. And I'll tell you that I've been there many times. In fact, I went to Cozumel six times this year. And every single time we got off the ship because, well, for one thing, I part of me, you should know, is like I can't. It's, it's hard for me not to get off the ship. I, I really do relish exploring these places. But at the same time, I love Cozumel. It's a beautiful place to visit. You're going in December or January, I should say, January 1. It's one of the best times of the year to go. You know why? Because it's not 1,000 degrees over there. It's actually more than likely going to be quite comfortable to be outside. A great opportunity to visit downtown. And look, if the ships are there, they they know, the locals know, the tourists are going to be there. And because of that, they've got to be open. So I have no doubt in my mind that there's going to be opportunity. Now, again, if you're concerned or it depends on what you're looking to do, I would, if you're doing it, if you want to do a tour, definitely book something in advance. If you're looking to go downtown, I think you'll be fine in that regard. But again, if you have your heart set on maybe a local, uh, local place for, for lunch, you may have some issues there, uh, depending on where you're, it really depends on your plans. But I, I think that it's still going to have plenty for you to do. Uh, but if you want to enjoy a day on board the ship, hey, there's nothing wrong with that either. It's just one of the, the reason why I like actually I would more lean towards getting off the ship is simply because January 1st, the humidity will probably be a lot lower than any other time in the year. And that makes enjoying Cosmos so much better when you're not sweating profusely from walking around. So from that standpoint alone, maybe the opportunity to do so. But again, if you're looking to go like to the mainland or visit uh, particular ruins or something that's more dependent on, you know, a tour based thing. Definitely book in advance because obviously if they're booking the tour, then they're going to be open. They're going to know the, the deal right there. So that'd be my recommendation for you to do that. So Marianne, thank you for the email. Thank you to everybody for these wonderful comments here on this week's episode. Really do appreciate it. And of course, if you have a question about your upcoming Royal Caribbean cruise or maybe write something at royalcaribbeanblog.com or 
you have some feedback about something you heard on this week's episode, please feel free to email me, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.